Awesome. All right, so we are in week three of kingdom. So I had almost the entire message prepared on Thursday, which is my last official preparation day to prepare messages. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I spend about the first five hours of those days, each of those days, preparing the word, praying, researching, writing, all of those things. And so Thursday, I was pretty much done. I was going to get up, fine-tune, pray about it, and, and God changed the whole thing. Not just the big idea, not just a point here, a point there, the whole thing. Now, if you know me, that's just not okay. I mean, God should have told me on Monday what he wanted to say. So we're working through some issues right now. We're going to be fine. (laughs) Now, you're looking at a preacher who highly values preparation. That's the teacher, if you remember our series, remember our our gift series, the teacher. Uh, The idea of standing here in this pulpit unprepared is one of my worst nightmares. But as I tried to continue with that original thought and idea and sermon on that this last Thursday morning, I could not get a piece about that message for this Sunday. And if I'm honest, don't tell God. I felt that on Monday (laughs) and I was too stubborn to listen. I know none of you are ever stubborn like that. I know that's not an issue with any of you. So just, you know, it's something I'm working through personally. But as I began to think on Thursday, once I realized this was going to change, I began to think and pray and I began to kind of think of back over the series so far, I began to, God, I don't think God put some, some, some feedback that I'd heard from different people in my mind. Feedback. Things like, that's a, that's a tough word, pastor. That's a heavy word, brother. Challenging word, pastor. And then several people use this. That's really deep. Well, the ocean is deep. Doesn't make it good or bad. People drown in the ocean because it's deep sometimes, right? Now, I know all of those things were meant to be compliments like, hey, we appreciate the the, the depth (laughs) of the word and all of those things. And I think there's definitely room for some tough and challenging. We're in tough and challenging times, right? We need some tough and challenging words from God, but only if they're very clear and understandable and things that we can apply to our life. And I work very hard at clarity, very hard. But I fear as I, as I look back and think back, watch the other sermons, I fear that maybe I haven't been as clear as I need to be about what the kingdom of God is and what it's really about. And so today I really felt like on Thursday God just wants us to hit the pause button. Just slow down, hit the pause button, go back, review, clarify, and talk. And here's here's the most important thing I think he's, he's saying. We need to pray about this. We need to pray about what we're learning. So the goal today is to get on the same page 
And then I want us to spend some time at the end in prayer about what this looks like in my life, what this looks like in your life, the kingdom of God. Because here's the deal. I can clearly communicate a great message, but if the Holy Spirit is not involved and the Holy Spirit doesn't activate those things in you and in me so that we can make it a part of our life, we've missed it. That's, are you that quiet or just taking this in? Do you agree with that? So first I want to go back. I want to clarify. I want to clarify what the kingdom of God is, but I'm going to leave out the theological jargon and some of the big words and all of those things that get us off, on, off track sometimes and get down or try to get down to the heart of it, which is not easy because there's been so much written about the kingdom of God. There's been so many sermons and so much commentary. And Jesus himself had many, many parables about the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. So I come up with a statement, and it is by no means exhaustive or or, or this huge definition that we can just hang everything on. It's not that at all. But I think it is a good place to start over the conversation about the kingdom of God. Look at the screen. The kingdom of God is the culture of heaven. The kingdom of God is the culture of heaven. Will you say that with me? The kingdom of God is the culture of heaven. Now again, this is by no means an exhaustive explanation of the kingdom. It's bigger than that. But this statement is supported by the Lord's prayer. Let your kingdom, the kingdom of God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done where? On earth. Say it again. On earth as it is where? In heaven. In other words, let the culture of heaven come down and become the culture that we promote, that we live out, that we experience on earth. Are you with me? So what is the culture of heaven? Perfection. No sickness, no death, no loss, no sorrow, no pain, joy, unspeakable. And full of glory. The culture of heaven represents God's way of doing things. It's his value system. It's his will being accomplished everywhere you look. No matter where you look, it's God. It's his will being done. It's the culture of heaven. Now, everywhere you go and everywhere I go has a culture, doesn't it? Everywhere, every place, all day long that we step foot into has a culture. Your home has a culture. Dare I ask how that is or what that is? Is it, is it a happy culture? Is it a fun culture? Is it a chaotic culture? Is it a loud culture? Is it a messy culture? I pray not, but some may say, Pastor, it's an unhealthy Culture. And some even may say sometimes it's a frightening culture. Your work has a culture, doesn't it? Is it a productive culture? 
Is it unproductive? Is it a frustrating culture? Amen? Y'all, everybody think great at work? Just no problems whatsoever? All right, good. Man, I'm going to work wherever you are. Your kids, your school has a culture. Students, and you know what? Every classroom in the school has its own culture. And that culture changes all day long. Why? Because different students come into that culture. And that culture of that classroom relies heavily also on that teacher and how they teach and their attitude and what they hang on the walls and all of those things. Your sports teams have a culture. Is it a culture of discipline? Is it a culture of excellence or is it a culture of laziness? Is it a culture of winning or losing? Coffee shops have a culture. Why do so many people... Are so many people drawn to the culture of a coffee shop? It's relaxed. It, it tends to be stress-free. It smells good. There's coffee. And then there's this unspoken camaraderie, isn't there, with all these people on their laptops working. It's like, yeah, I know, we're getting it done. It's like, don't know what you're doing, but yeah. There's this, I don't know what it is. I did my, almost, almost my entire master's degree at a Panera Bread in Mobile, Alabama. Because I was so drawn to that kind of culture. Churches have a culture. We strive very hard at New Life to make our culture a welcoming, loving culture. All those people outside of your guest here today in the parking lot and on the stairs and, and, and as you come in the door and then as you come in the sanctuary and those people that greet and love you and even me standing out there or whatever, that's not just haphazard. That is on purpose to develop that kind of culture and then hopefully our core values, worship, word, walk and witness drive a culture here at New Life. Every place we go has a culture. But when you arrive in a new environment, guess what? You affect change at some level, at some level in every culture you step into. It might be very minute. It might be very small or it could be significant. Parents, when you come home, from a really, really hard, bad day, nothing has gone right, and you step into that culture of home, you are going to affect it one way or another. If you drag home the culture of work for that day, if it's bad, and you bring it into your culture of home, it's going to affect it for the worst. Even if when you step in, it's already bad. <laughs> Even if you step in and the dog's pooped on the floor, or, or the, your kids are fighting, or the place is a wreck. If you step in and you bring that negative culture from work home, it's going to get worse. Now, that's, that's for free. That's not even that spiritual. That's just real, real practical and true. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put something that's very non-spiritual but real on the board, on the, on the screen. The smaller no, the number of people in a culture, do we have that slide? No? I'll just read it to you. Oh, there it is. 
The smaller the number of people in a culture, the greater the impact each person will make. If you have a family of four, every person is making a significant contribution to the culture. You understand? My staff of six or seven here, I tell them all the time, each person makes a significant contribution. Now, if you're in a large organization of of 1,000 or 2,000, it's a little bit different, but it's still a, there's still a small circle even in a large group. You understand what I'm saying? Even your fr- with your friends, you make every single one here makes a contribution to that culture. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. Students, it's the same with you. Your behavior, what you bring into a situation with your friends in a classroom, at home, will affect the culture. Now, the good part of that is that someone with the right attitude, someone with a good disposition, and especially someone full of the Holy Spirit, can step into an unhealthy culture and make a big difference. Amen? Uh, You don't believe it. Have you ever experienced that, though? You're in a tense situation. Maybe it's a staff meeting or... Or some kind of something that's just not going well. And this person just steps into the room. And they bring with them a peace, a calmness that just changes the atmosphere, changes the culture. It's like a breath of fresh air. It's powerful. Unhealthy culture is a killer in the world of business. How many businessmen know or women know, understand that, I mean, if you have an unhealthy culture, work culture, it doesn't matter what product you have. It doesn't matter how good your product, whether that's food or whether that's an industry, whether it's a computer or a phone or whatever it is, it doesn't matter how good that is. If it's unhealthy on the inside, it's dying from the inside out. And large organizations that are going under because of poor culture, they spend millions to try to turn the culture. They pay these CEOs millions of dollars that are known to be able to go into a situation and turn the culture. I was about 10 years ago brought into a church situation as a worship pastor. Good people, don't take me the wrong way. Good people, great church. And the senior pastor was new. He was six months in. And he wanted to change the worship culture. What in the world was I thinking? <laughs> y'all like that. Y'all, anyway, I'll, let me ask over here and see y'all. Listen, they, he, wanted, he was bringing me in to change the worship culture from more of a high church performance-oriented driven culture to more of a worship authentic worship-driven culture. Well, that present culture was bigger than the both of us thought and stronger than we realized. And after 14 months, I had to remove my family from that because it became unhealthy. Culture is a powerful thing. And wouldn't you agree that the overarching culture in our community, in our state, in our country, and especially in our world, desperately needs to be infused with the culture of heaven. 
Come on, somebody. Come on. Just praise God just out of obedience. This world desperately needs the culture of heaven. Your home desperately needs the culture of the kingdom. My home, our schools desperately need the culture of heaven. Houston, Texas right now needs the culture of heaven. We need it. We desperately, now look at me, everybody look at me. That is what this series is about. Everybody with me now? That's what this series is about. Bringing the culture of heaven down so that people can experience it and come to Christ on earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, there's never been another human being to affect change like Jesus Christ, to affect culture. And I want to remind us in our text about what he really did when he came from the kingdom of heaven down to the kingdom of earth. I'm in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. This is a Christmas text in September. Anybody excited for Christmas? No, anyway. Actually, for parents, it's sometimes a nightmare. But anyway, y'all didn't like that? It's wonderful. I love Christmas. It's great. Hallelujah. This is a Christmas text in September. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Everybody say, Fear not. not. I am no longer a slave to fear. And here's why Fear not. I bring you good news. Say, Good news. Say it again. Good news. The kingdom of heaven is about good news. Jesus coming from heaven to earth is about good news. The culture of heaven is good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All the people. Jesus came for everyone. Red, yellow, black, and white. Tall, short, rich, poor, young, old. Not a select predestined few, but everyone. That's why racism has no place in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus died. He lived. He was born for everyone. The joy of the kingdom. The joy of the kingdom is available to anyone who will receive it. Hallelujah. When he came From heaven to earth, it was the turning point of history. Hallelujah. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Everybody say, on earth, peace. 
How many need a little peace? Nobody? It's available because of the kingdom coming to earth in Jesus. And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. And how do we get the pleasure of God? By receiving the kingdom, by receiving Christ. When Jesus was born, he brought the kingdom of heaven down. When he healed somebody, when he forgave somebody, when he set somebody free of a demonic possession, all of those things was the gospel. All of that was demonstrating the kingdom. All of that was about bringing heaven down, freedom down, hope down, love down. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus was the embodiment of a better way, a better culture, and his life and death would change everything. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Where? On earth. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He came to demonstrate the culture of heaven. He came to demonstrate to us how to treat people, how to love people, how to forgive people, how to deal with people who are difficult. He came to show us those things, and by doing it, he was showing us the culture of heaven. He was showing us, look at the screen, Jesus came to show us what the kingdom of God looks like in the flesh. Is this helping? Is this bringing clarity? Well, then I guess it's okay that he changed my sermon. Jesus came to show us. It wasn't good enough to just be written down. Oh, my God. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh. Because it wasn't just enough to read about it. He wanted us to see it. Demonstrated. My Lord, I feel the Holy Spirit this morning. My God, what would happen if we could comprehend this and begin to live it out as we follow Jesus? But as we study his life, as we talk about this, as we read about it, we realize that that culture that he was representing, that he was bringing the way of the kingdom, listen, is basically at odds with everything we know. It's opposite to everything that we experience on a daily basis, isn't it? It was opposite to the people he was with 2,000 years ago, and it's opposite to us now. Up is down in the kingdom. Right is left. Forward is backward. (laughs) The greatest in the kingdom is what? Last! What? When have you heard that at a board meeting? Never, and you never will. You know what, though? What's interesting? Some 
leaders are beginning to tap into the principles of the kingdom that aren't even saved. Some of them are realizing that servant leadership actually works. They're not even saved. They don't know Jesus, but they're beginning to tap into the principles of the kingdom. And it's actually working because these principles work. No matter what, they work. Anyway, that was for free, not my notes. Jesus came into our broken culture, demonstrating the way of God's kingdom, and the entire time he was what? Swimming upstream. Because the kingdom of earth was postured against him. Everybody look at me. And that is the challenge, isn't it? There is no getting around the difficulty of this message. I, you ask my wife. I was desperately trying to have this really bright and fun and encouraging message. But there is no, and I'm going to get there. It's okay. There is no getting around, though, the difficulty in this. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, 13, very clearly, you can enter God's kingdom, that's what we're talking about, only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who, what? Choose. We don't adhere to predestination in this church because there is a choice that God gives every person to many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is... And only a few find it. I, I hardly ever use the message version of the Bible because it's a paraphrase. It's not a straight translation. Okay, you know, you know that, right? The message version, it reads really great and fun, but it's not a literal straight translation. It's a paraphrase, but I love the way... I always read it, though because it's interesting. But anyway, I, I want to use it right here because I love the angle that it gives. Matthew 7, same scripture in the message. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life the way to God, the way to his kingdom, the way to his culture is vigorous and requires total attention. Now, this is not talking about working our way to heaven. You got that, right? Jesus is not promoting a works gospel. Listen, he is the gate. No one comes to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is the gate. But when we go through, life doesn't end. There's a journey on the other side of that gate. And what he's saying is that journey is narrow. And that journey can be difficult. Look at the screen. This is, this is the deal. We cannot treat our Christianity like a walk in the park. 
Somebody quote that one on, or put that on Twitter. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. Put it on Twitter. You can tell I don't have a Twitter account. Put it on social media. We cannot treat our Christianity like a walk in the park. But that's what we do. That's what we do. And we wonder why there's, I'm trying to be compassionate. I'm trying to, to help us. So you know that, right? The spirit of this. That's why there's no victory. That's why we, we bump up against the same things over and over and over again because we're treating our walk with Christ like a walk in the park. Kathy and I love to, to walk. We've been doing pretty good. We, uh, our, our walks are, are slightly above a walk in the park, but, but only slightly. And we, we go for a little over a mile almost every evening, and, and we do it to try to keep, stay in shape a little bit, but, but mainly we get to, to talk, and we get to catch up, and we get to fellowship. But there's more to it than that when we're talking about Christianity. Think about an athlete. Think about a, a professional athlete or an Olympic-level athlete is a one hour or thirty, not even an hour, thirty minute walk going to get them where they need to go? No, they dedicate their entire lives to their sport, to their discipline. What we see on the field of play for a couple of hours is nothing. According to this book. You know, I, I just, I'm confounded. I'm confused about a lot of the sermons that I hear preached from the pulpits in this country. I have to be honest with you. I'm like, what Bible are you using? I'm not, I'm not trying to throw rocks. I'm literally, I'm like, I wish I could begin, but I can't figure, I've read this from cover to cover many times. I study this. I can't find anywhere where it says it's going to be easy. Now, it's very clear about our path and how we get there and that he'll never leave us or forsake us and he'll do this all the But it's, there's nowhere in there that says it's going to be easy. On the contrary, there's a lot of places where it talks about how hard and difficult it will be. John 16, this is Jesus. He says, I have told you these things. What things? Kingdom things. Kingdom principles. I've told you these things so that in me, in me, you may have peace. You're not going to get it in the world. You're not going to get it in the world. In me, you would look. Because in this world, you will have trouble. We desperately, desperately need peace, don't we? We desperately are looking all the time for peace. The problem is we always seem to be looking in, for the wrong, in the wrong place, at the wrong things to bring that peace. A pill will not bring you peace. It's a temporary fix. A drink will not bring you peace. It just numbs whatever's going on.
We desperately try to find peace in the wrong places. Jesus said, I've told you these things. I've demonstrated, listen folks, don't lose me. I've demonstrated the kingdom in front of you so that you'll look to me for peace. Because in the world, you will have trouble. Folks, there's no question. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. We will come up against storms and pain and life because this world has been taken by sin. Satan is the, the, the ruler of this world, of the kingdom of earth, and it surrounds us. We will have trouble. It should not surprise us so much when we do. But the good news, somebody... Praise God for some good news. The good news is Jesus doesn't leave us there. The end of this verse says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Somebody praise God. Hallelujah. Take heart. Cheer up. Get your head up because I've already overcome the world. Jesus knows we can't do it in our own strength. He knows it's too big for us. That's why he came. That's why he lived. That's why he healed. That's why he demonstrated the kingdom. That's why he rose again. That's why he fought and won the battle. Did you know Satan is already defeated? He's already defeated. We give him way too much room and space to, to, to cramp us in our life. He is already defeated. Jesus defeated him at the cross. And now we've been given the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. And Paul declares we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. I want you to to do this with me. Say this, I will win. win. Say it again, I will win. win. Because the winner lives in me. Say, let's do it again. I will win win. because the winner lives in me. me. Does anybody believe that? Come on. Hallelujah. (laughs) Jesus came to show us a better way. Everybody look at me. You will never, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how impossible it seems, you will never be alone. If you are walking this road following Jesus, you never have to be alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Emmanuel. God with us. Our God loves us so much that he was willing to come from heaven, the the kingdom of heaven where it's perfect, where it's beautiful, where there's no pain, no sorrow. He was willing to leave all of that and come to this cursed, horrible place called earth and live and demonstrate the culture of the kingdom of God and to live and to die and raise again for you and for me. He's Emmanuel. God is with us. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus came to demonstrate the culture of heaven lived out on earth. 
But as we've stated, the kingdom is so different than what we're used to. It's so foreign. Not just to the world, but to us. But look at the screen. Jesus commands that we engage and change our culture. He commands, it's not a request. He commands that we engage. We don't run away, we don't hide, we don't put our head down, put it in a hole. We can't just ignore that there's thousands of people that are displaced in Houston, Texas. We can't just ignore that God put us in contact with a man in Pakistan and there's little girls being abused and trying, you know, we're trying to keep them off. We can't ignore that because God's brought it into our lives. We have to engage and change our culture. I'm going to skip the video, Andrew. Matthew 5, 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus said we are to be salt and light. I don't think he could have used or pick two more powerful agents of change than those two things. Just a little bit of salt changes everything, doesn't it? And just a small candle, a light will pierce through the darkest night. He used those examples on purpose, trying to get us to understand the power of the kingdom because we do live in a dark world, but just the kingdom culture in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory can make a difference and change the culture that you live in. We have to engage and change the culture, but listen, don't make the mistake of letting the task of doing that overwhelm you. Listen, listen, I'm closing. Don't focus on the assignment. Focus on the teacher. Who's the teacher? Jesus Christ. Don't focus on the overwhelming assignment. Focus on the teacher. He says in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all the tasks, all the assignments, all the things, all the things of the kingdom will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first him. Our job is to seek Christ. Our job is to pursue him. Like we taught last week, to posture our life towards him and not away. If we do that, listen, if we do that, we have done well. If we do that, the Bible promises that fruit of our labor is coming. Anybody want to see some fruit in your life? Anybody want to see some kingdom fruit from your life? Anybody want to see some results? I do. The big idea is this, the byproduct, the byproduct of kingdom living is a changed culture. The byproduct, just you don't have to worry about changing the culture. You just demonstrate the kingdom. 
Are you hearing me? You just demonstrate the kingdom and leave the results up to him. The byproduct of kingdom living is a changed culture. Because if we're demonstrating the kingdom, if we're demonstrating that culture of heaven around us, things will change and people will be affected.